You are listening to the Apex Hour, hosted by Ryan Paul on KSUU Thunder 91.1. This show allows more personal time with our guests, allowing them to give us their stories and opinions. We will also give you new music to listen to, hoping you enjoy some new sounds and genres. Welcome to this episode of the Apex Hour. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Apex Hour here on KSUU Thunder 91.1. This week, we were privileged to host alongside the Tanner Center, Miss Gina Davis, and we're even more privileged to have a special guest here in the Apex Hour with us. So, Ryan, I'll turn it over to you. Thank you, Amelia. I am so excited to be sitting next to my good friend. I guess I can say that right. We, yes. We've known each other for a while. Melinda Funstein, who has been a... Uh, an important mentor to me in my life and has been a, well, I, I think I consider her a creative genius. Oh, I think that's fair to say. So why don't we start? I always like to let you let, let introduce yourself to us. How would you like to be known? Well, first I'll introduce myself as an, uh, as an alumna of SUU Woo-hoo. and uh, I have spent a lot of time on this campus. I did my undergraduate work and my graduate work on this campus. And so I've loved Thunder 91 since I was a student and I'm so happy to be here today. Um, and I've been in Cedar City on and off for 25 years now, I think, uh, first as a student and then I left and, um, pursued some creative projects and lived in New York and Milwaukee and then found myself back in Cedar City about 10, 11 years ago, full time. And, uh, this has always been home, but I'm, I'm so happy that it is uh, a permanent home right now. Great. Thank you. So we, most people would know you as uh, an actor for the Utah Shakespeare Festival and, and other places, but locally here, mm-hmm. I think that's what, I mean, people would recognize you on the street often during the summer specifically. Sh- sure. Yes. I mean, I, I don't get recognized on the street very often. I'm, <laughs> I'm in grubbies in a hat most often uh, when I'm out, out in public. No, but uh, yeah, I did start as an actor here and uh, was a student first in the psychology department here on campus and then uh, in the theater and dance department. So I double majored while I was in school here and started as an actor. I cut my teeth um, creatively on the stages at SUU and, um, and then, yeah, continued coming back. And then as the years progressed, started directing, and um, and then I was a faculty member, first adjunct, and then full faculty member uh, in the theater department for a few numbers, a, a number of years. And that was um, just an awesome experience to be in the classroom uh, as a faculty member. And we actually, we went to graduate school together. We did. You and I. And so I, I remember as we were talking, as we were much younger, I guess, in those days, you had... You used this graduate work to to form an organization that, that really means something to you and kind of ties into what Gina Davis was talking about. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure, I'd love to. Uh, so this organization is a nonprofit organization uh, that is um, – worldwide, actually, through uh, one of our programs. And it is called Statera Arts. Statera is the Latin word for balance. And this is a gender parity organization or gender balance organization for women in the arts. And the mission is to bring women into full and equal participation in the arts. And yes, um, as we were in the program together, you know, 
uh, better than anyone because you were my partner in crime those days that um, in those early days I was really kind of floundering and I needed a, a reference point and uh, we created a couple things together but then I landed on this need for um, disrupting the idea that women have to be pit- pitted against women um, there, that there isn't enough opportunity and there isn't there needs to be more awareness brought to that but that um, that separation is the answer and um, we started asking questions in a in an informal way and then yes while I was in the program the arts administration program I did utilize each of those classes to walk me through the process of forming a nonprofit and then um, gathering a little bit bigger you know throwing events so that we could find our seed funding to um, establish the nonprofit and then at the end of the the degree when I finished the program, we hosted our first of four national conferences for gender parity in the arts. And let's when you say gender parity, what's what's let's define that term. parity is balance. It's it's just balance. So uh, we want to make sure that the opportunities that are available, uh, that there, you know, when there's an opportunity for a man, that there's also an opportunity for a woman, right? And that that there is opportunity for many different um, intersections. And so, of course, not just gender, but then looking at look at looking at all different types of ident- identities. Um, and so, uh, within the work that we were doing. Doing, we were also looking at uh, the balance of uh, race and of gender, of course, of size. Are there opportunities for people of size in a room? Are there people of um, differing abilities in a room? And are there opportunities for um, all of these different intersections? Um, uh, and then th- those intersections, I think, uh, and the way that they overlap with gender. So, and when I say intersections, I'm talking uh, about a, f- a term that was coined by Kimberly Crenshaw. And um, this is the idea that we are all made up of many different identities. So I'm a woman, I'm white, I'm in my 40s, uh, I'm a creative, I, uh, I have children, I'm a partner, all of those things, those are pieces of my identity that make up uh, all of the different parts of me. And when uh, you have a traditionally unrepresented identity, and then you layer on anything on top of it, then the misrepresentation or the lack of representation or opportunity just compounds and becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. So when we talk about um, you know opportunity for a woman of color who is generally falls to the bottom of any um, any conversations about race or any conversations about gender. We want to make sure that we're talking about both of those things and the intersection is just as important as talking about gender balance or about racial balance. So it's not just about finding opportunities. It's about changing the mindset of how we do what we do in not only producing art, but in thinking about these things in general. Yes, it is absolutely about changing mindset and not only the mindset of the organizations and the institution and the leadership, but also the mindset of the people who benefit or do not benefit from the opportunity or lack of opportunity. So a lot of our work, and when, when we began the work with Statera Arts, uh, we set out to work with organizations and um uh, you know, leadership, executive leaders who have the power to make change within their organizations. And so that that is top down change, right? But we found that the most important work that we were doing had to do with with 
disrupting the idea that I can't go in and negotiate for more. If I ask for more or if I negotiate for the salary that I know that my male colleague is getting, they're going to find the next woman next to me. And I, so I can't negotiate for myself, right? That that internal belief, that was what we went to work in disrupting. And that, that was really where our work naturally um, flowed in the beginning because then we were then we said how do we do that and that became mentorship was an answer for that um, gathering in spaces that were about networking and making friends and connections and finding opportunities for more collaboration so that we weren't creating more opportunity for separation uh, that became our way of of getting at the at the of the bottom up conversation or um, you know inside out. Um, with the individual person, how we how we actually advocate for that for ourselves. So, I'm interested in this idea when you mentioned about women being pitted against women. Is this really this internal idea? So you talk about I can't negotiate for myself because they'll just go to the next woman that they that they need. Is that idea coming from a, a top down? thing, or is it women themselves making that judgment? I mean, are are there, I mean, I'm not answering this correctly, but are there challenges between women themselves? Is this a problem that is solved also internally as well as externally? I think this is a great time to call back to what we experienced with Gina Davis today. So much of her, of her uh, lecture this morning was, was geared toward what work needs to be done to just teach kids in their first access to media and the things that they take in, the movies, the things they read and see in books, the things they listen to, and to just teach them that girls and boys are equal, right? And um, I think then the answer to your question is, most of us don't receive a balanced, I mean, there there aren't enough opportunity, or there aren't enough, there isn't enough representation that is balanced in children's cartoons and movies, right? And mm-hmm. Gina shared with us the numbers that tell us that that is getting better. But those messages are ingrained so early on. They're also then supported. Those messages are supported by our parents or our caregivers because generations before are also bringing in what they know. And what I know is that my dad went to work and that my mom went to work and came home and also made dinner and also picked us up from school and also, right? But my dad got the bigger opportunities for salary, but my mom was, I mean, her her span of day, we were paying her for her effort and time. uh, it, it, It would have been a profound increase in her salary, right? So it's kind of like when you uh, – this doesn't sound trivial, but it's like when you you show your kids a movie that you watched when you were younger and you think to yourself, oh, boy, I can't let them show this to my kids, right? Because it's either more graphic or – then you as a parent, it's different than when you see it as a kid. Yeah. And, and I guess it's interesting to think about how – what these kids are processing from the things they're watching. Yeah. At this moment. Yeah. Oh, you know, during COVID, my best friend, Jason, came and stayed and helped. He, he's uncle to my kids. And he came and stayed during uh, during COVID. And we 
we decided to have an 80s and 90s movie marathon. So we would pick a movie out of a hat uh, every day and then we would we would sit down and watch that. And so we were watching things like Goonies and 16 Candles and Can't Buy Me Love and watching these movies through, I mean, these are movies that I grew up on. I wanted to be these leading characters. I wanted to like have best friend relationships with the people, right? But watching these movies, like, wait, where are all the women? And where are the women who are, um, who are standing up for something in their own lives and, and stand on their own and have a full arc of a story that doesn't have to do with getting the guy or getting in the way of the girl who has the guy or you know, something something about the guy, right? Either like volleying up the, the ball so that the guy could take the big, you know, the big plot ball and carry it forward. Um, and so, yeah, the things that I grew up on absolutely taught me that I have to play small. I can't speak loudly. If I speak my mind, I'm going to be perceived in a certain way. And if I um, advocate for myself, I'm going to come across as bossy or pushy. Therefore, smaller, quieter, more polite, all of these things that get in the way of living your most expansive and creative life, which is, I think, where we're going in this conversation about creativity. So these things that you're talking about, were they explicitly told to you ever or were they reinforced now that you're thinking back? That's a good question. Well, uh, uh, never explicitly. I, I can't recall a time when it was when they were ex- when, when this was explicitly said. You know, Gina talked again today about unconscious bias. Right. And I think the unconscious aspect, I mean, giving giving people the benefit of the doubt, which is where I like to live, uh, I think most of the bias is unconscious. I think it is just the way that we are brought up, the things that we've been taught to believe, the habits that, you know, the way we live our lives and the habits that, that we carry out in our lives. It's just... Um, I think every message that I got when I opened up a teen magazine was your job is to um, look pretty and <laughs> look pretty and skinny. You know, I mean, that that was the messaging that I got as I as I was not you have the ability to be a, a healer as a doctor or a or a a scientist and you have the opportunity to have these rad jobs. Um, You have the opportunity to be a change maker in the world. And all of these ideas that were alive and well when I was a kid and playing make-believe on the street and owning my block, you know, with these big make-believes about the kind of impact I was going to make in the world. Of course, I didn't know then. It was just like, you know, big, big make-believe stories. But all of that imagination and creativity for me was never aimed toward opportunity. It was aimed toward you, this is just fun and games, but then when you get older, the job is just fits in this little box of what, what your place in the world is. Do you think that is one of the reasons that, that acting resonated with you? That it led you to to be these different types of people that you were kind of thought you couldn't be? Interesting question. Uh, I think the, I think the bug for acting came from a desire to express bigger. Yes. I think the answer is yes. 
the interesting thing is the roles that I was right for and you know, quote unquote right for that I was getting when I was first entering the field were just like the roles that I was brought up on. All I was doing was lob- lobbying up, you know, you know, lobbying up the ball right. for for the men in the stories to take them and run with the plot in the really cool storylines. Very cool. So we're going to go to our first break. And normally, uh, as I've mentioned to you, we ask our guests to choose some of their songs. And, and when I asked you that, you pretty much told me, well, my favorite very, song very is the nice one right in front of me. No, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so I chose some songs for that, that reminded me of, of you. And this is one. This is one of my favorites. This is my what, a really sing aloud song for me. When I think hear this song, I think of you and a few other people in my life because you have stood up and expressed these ideas with a strong and powerful voice. And that song is "I Am Woman" by Helen Reddy. Oh yes. I am woman, hear me roar In numbers too big to ignore And I know too much to go back and pretend Cause I've heard it all before And I've been down there on the floor No one's ever gonna keep me down again Oh yes, I am wise But it's wisdom It only serves to make me more determined to achieve my final goal And I come back even stronger, not a novice any longer Cause you've deepened the conviction
Hello, everyone, and welcome back with us here on KSU Youth Under 91.1. You're listening to the Apex Hour, and Ryan, I'll turn it back over to you. Thank you, Amelia. We're here with uh, my good friend, Melinda Funstein, and we're talking about this idea of, of representation in, in some ways and, and finding out uh, different intersections and identities. And my question is, I think all of us hopefully would agree that what you're talking about is is solid. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. So my question really is, what's the pushback? Like, as you begin this work and as you talk with Gina Davis about this, what is the what is the pushback here? Well, we mentioned un- unconscious bias right. um, based on what we learned from Gina this morning. And I think, again, the pushback is internal many times. Um, and I, I think so much work is available to us from the inside out in terms of just learning to advocate for ourselves as human beings, much less when you add intersections into that. Um, and then, you know, the the institutions and the, um, you know, that top-down idea of what has always been and what our idea of a leader looks like, you know, um, there's that uh there's this joke it's not a joke but this it's um oh i will probably not remember this correctly but it's it's a riddle something like um there's a a kid who gets in an accident and um the kid's mom isn't a bit, i don't i don't know do you know what i'm talking about here this was a, I shouldn't have brought this up uh, anyway the the idea is that they they describe this doctor and then how the the riddle is how did this happen oh the the um one of the parents died and in the acts in the crash and then the um the doctor came and said i can't work i can't operate because this is my son mm-hmm. how did how, how does this work out and then the most people it's a riddle because most people say oh we can't figure it out you know the dad died in the so how how did that happen and the answer to the riddle is that the doctor is the mom you right. know yeah. and so this idea of what does a doctor look like what does a scientist look like and again going back to Gina Davis you know the mission of her uh organization at the Gina Davis Institute for Gender and Media is if she can see it she can be it if they can see it if they can be it right uh so I think the pushback is that when we don't have examples of something, our our imagination just it stops when we don't we don't have uh, if we don't have railroad in front of us of what it looks like or um, how it can be. Our we we stop thinking we just go with what we know and what has always been so do you think most people go into this kind of work and what you're talking about this this transformational work really is a way to say i need to find out who i am and i need to be the best me that i can be or do you go into it saying i am going to be a pathfinder a, a trailblazer for other people so they can see me there I think it's probably different for, you know, every person you ask. And the the former question is really, like, that's the meaning of life, right? If I, if you ask me, I think that's the thing we're asking until we're on our deathbeds. But um, I, I do think that um, in my case with Statera, the forming of that was a way for me to put, give voice and advocate for other women in ways that I hadn't figured out how to advocate for myself yet. Um, that work has helped me 
find a vocabulary and also find my ethos for how I how I advocate in the world because my way of of advocating for anything that I feel strongly about is always about relationships first is always about um discourse and dialogue and mutual respect and civility and um so when we started out with Statera that you know that we just heard Governor Cox speak at uh President Mindy Benson's inauguration, and I keep hearing uh, the echo of him describing people as as builders or destroyers, and there are so many destroyers um, in advocacy work, especially. And I do believe that sometimes we do need destroyers. It's like nature. Sometimes we need a wildfire so that the undergrowth and the brush can can grow up with new life, right? So I do believe that sometimes we do need to destroy. I am a builder through and through, and I actually just don't op. I just can't operate in a world of, um, or in an environment that is based in on destroy on destruction, and um, so the idea of advocating by burning down the house is never the way I'm going to. I will always choose the relationship over the advocacy, and um, I think because of that, that made Statera a. We were doing we were doing advocacy for women in a different way, and um, the on the other side of that, I think my advocacy for all of the things that I feel passionate about now happen with this vocabulary that was learned um, by practicing civility first and bringing people along. And if people aren't interested or they have differing views and are not uh, willing or ready to have a conversation about gender balance, then that's nothing. I lose nothing, right? It's just love the person and then move on to the next person who is ready for the conversation. So uh, did that answer your question? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. essentially what you're really teaching in, in, when, when you do this kind of stuff is how to be human beings. Well, I think that is what we're doing with art, right? And that, that, that's the brilliance of a, of a degree in the theater especially. Um, in my classrooms, it was always about um, how, do we, how do we get better at being human? How do we get better with each other? Um, so definitely in the arts, that's the, that's the point. And I think that's part of the challenge is that it's been my experience that when you tell someone or when I tell myself I can do better, that doesn't mean that I'm doing bad. No. And, and when we talk about pushback, I think specifically in today's world where we say you know, in, in history, we need to rethink these things and understand the past. Well, I don't want to feel guilty about that. Yeah. Well, the point is, it's not saying that you did anything bad. It's just saying that you can do better. So yeah. by being better doesn't mean you were in a bad place. Right. And I think that is, you know, when, when people get really confrontational about advocacy that I think that is it that if you if you cling to that binary and you're swinging the pendulum between what is good and what is bad what is right what is wrong it's always going to lead you towards separation and also leads you further away from from coming to some understanding through compassion and from a place of really deep connected humanity and so uh, I think just removing that good bad binary and just saying look we know what we know up to this point and we can't know any anything more than that and then when we know more we've got to just do better with what we know and it's still not going to be everything and so if we can just sort of um learn forward Uh, you know there's that phrase fall forward but i love the i love to think of it as learning forward um because 
staying open to the idea that I don't have all the answers. And if we disagree or um, there's something I feel passionately about or very strongly about that I'm advocating for and we differ in opinion, my go-to is tell me more. There's that Brene Brown quote um, that sits on my wall in my office that hate is hard close up. Get closer. And that is my mantra for the way that I um, navigate through the world of advocacy and even in my creative work, uh, how I navigate through a world of thinking imaginatively about race, about gender, about identity, about size, about ability um, in the things that I have the power to um, cast or um, hire for. Um, it's the idea of it, it's hard already. It's hard enough already. And uh, so we have to get closer. Yeah, so speaking about that, when you, when you talk about teaching and casting and directing, how do you then say, look, not everyone can be an actor, right? Not everyone. Well, I guess everyone can be an actor because we all are, I guess, in one sense of the term or another. But but when, when you were teaching and someone you knew just didn't have, just didn't have it, right? How do you How do you tell somebody that then if we're talking about you know, compassion and inclusivity. I mean, how do you have those uncomfortable conversations, which will come about not just uh, acting, but about hate and race and gender and all those other kind of things? Yeah. Um, well, that that's the reason that I, in my classroom, it was never about being the best professional. It was about how do we get better at being you know, better human beings. And, you know, going from studying psychology to being an actor, I always used to say that I, I used to, I went from studying human behavior to studying human behavior, you know, and the more we know about human behavior, the more we understand, well, that we know less, (laughs) that we we don't know everything. And the, the more we understand just the, the, and respect the, the differences, I think, between human beings. And um, when we are playing out stories and narratives, uh, and, and when we are storytelling, and using the voice of a character who has a particular set of circumstances, um, we have to expand our perspective beyond what we know. And I think with that comes a great a greater amount of space i think for um more acceptance uh i i don't like the word tolerance more love really um does that answer your question yeah so so what does a better human being look like to you i mean what obviously not perfect but what does a better human being look like i don't i don't know what a better human being looks like but i know that I feel like I'm doing it better when I am open to learning. And when, especially when I fall or when I, you know, when I, when I feel like I am out of alignment with who I want to be or the way that I'm showing up in the world, uh, for me, better feels like, what am I doing with that? Am I able to not dust myself off, but really witness witness the lesson that is available and then what's on the other side of that lesson? Um, 
I, I think that idea of doing it better, and this is something that I did with my classes too. And um, when I speak, this is something I share with uh, this good, good, bad, and ugly thing. And uh, it's just any any time you do something of importance, or any time there's a a framework around something that you're doing, just asking, what did I do well? Like, what do I want to do again? And then the bad part, and again, not the good, bad binary, but uh, is for me the question, what do I want to do different or better next time? And then the ugly is where did I self-sabotage and get in my own way? And that middle question of just being available to the lesson of, all right, so I know what I did well. I know what I want to do again. I know where I self-sabotaged. But that middle question of, what do I want to do differently or better next time? Just opens up a world of possibility for learning. And that feels like what better looks like to me. Cool. Let's move into our next break. This, uh, thank you, by the way. This song, I, I heard you actually sing this once, and it, uh, it is very thoughtful to me. It's from one of my favorite all-time musicals and we went through a challenging time in covid and and uh you and i have known each other for many years and we are both in different places than when we first met in a variety of ways and i i think about this often and use this phrase before but this is from the musical ragtime a song called back to before and this is the idea of a of a of a mother and a wife who can't adjust to what the life in which she has supposedly supposed to be is that fair to say i'm telling that story correctly but but this is a beautiful version and i remember i can still see it in my mind you singing this and i use this all the time this phrase that we just can't go back to before seemed never-ending I was so sure that where we were heading was right Life was a road so certain and straight and unbending Our little road with never a crossroad in sight Back in the days when we spoke in civilized voices, women in white and sturdy young men at the oar. Back in the days when I let you make all my choices, we can never go back to before. Oh 
everybody and welcome back into the apex hour here on ksuu thunder 91.1 that was back to before from ragtime the musical and i'll turn it back over to you ryan thank you thank you so i want to talk about creativity a little bit and 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 really my first question about this is when did you know what you wanted to do with your life or have you found that out yet i think i'm on a pretty good aligned track right now um i i didn't know as a kid what i wanted to be um i as i said i came i was always very interested in human behavior Uh, i still think that i will go back and get do some doctoral work in psychology um but more in the space of wholeness and moving beyond equity diversity inclusion and access to that belonging stage which i think is the result of um equity diversity inclusion and access work but then for me i want my my doctoral work to be about what wholeness looks like which i think is um what what is yielded by belonging. So I know that that's a a trajectory I'm on, but I also am incredibly interested in leadership now. And so, um, I want the, my, my work in the leadership world to take root in a way that is about wholeness and how we nurture more holistic environments where people can show up more authentically, more whole with in more compassionate and loving and whole, whole holistic ways. Um, as a kid, I didn't know that. I just knew that I thought I just thought human beings were really cool, came to school to study psychology. And then, of course, I think the the creative in me um, found fulfillment in telling stories and picking up narratives that weren't mine to mine them for humanity that I, I hadn't peeked into yet. So how, I'm going to work backwards here. So how did your then creative expression, how has it changed over time? I don't want to say matured, but how has it changed it's um it just becomes freer and freer 
Uh, and because of that, I think a, a more expansive expression of myself, of my experiences, of my own humanity, of my relationships. Uh, and I think um, when I first started studying creativity, you know, I think everybody is creative. But when I first started studying theater and music, um, for me, it was about the rules. And uh, I was a rule follower. I still am in some ways, in many ways. Um, but I was a rule follower, and I wanted to get it right. And there was this really strong perfectionist um, part in me that that just wanted to get it right. And that was the most important thing. Um, as I got older, I learned that breaking, you know, knowing the rules so that you can mold them and bend it and shape it is, is really a sweet spot for me. And um, in that space of knowing the rules, honoring the rules, and then asking the right questions or asking big questions and thoughtful questions um, has just expanded the the work and what is possible in in my creative life. So where then do you think your creative energy comes from? Is it internal? Is it external? Is it, you know, from somewhere else? I mean, where where does that come from? Uh, I think it's one of the things that I was sent here with, whatever you believe. <laughs> you know, um, I, I just think that that's one of the things that I'm here to to express through and to um, make my contribution on this earth through. Um, I also find, you know, because I, I think creatively, uh, and that is that is my default. I think every I, everything is in bold color and big big broad strokes, and I see connectivity in everything, and. Uh, and I think one of my strengths and one of the things that I express through is um, this way of seeing seemingly disparate information and then finding the way that it's all connected. And uh, that's one of the ways that my creativity shows up. And because of that, I also I also am inspired um, creatively by everything around me. I mean, your plaid shirt connects for me with that thing on the wall with the, you know, and and then the meeting for why we're here to get today. I mean, if you were to ask me to, to connect all of that into a linear, you know, theme, I, that I, is a really rad process for me. <laughs> you know, the two, that, the two images that come to my mind when you're talking about that is either one, that is a very divine way of thinking, divine in the sense of godlike, right? That you see past, present, and future, you see inter interconnectivity in all things. Uh. Or it's one of those movies where a conspiracy theorist has little note cards on a wall, that little strings that go everywhere to all kinds of things. <laughs> so which is it for you? Um, I, I'm not a strings on the wall and post-it notes on the wall type of person. So um, I guess if the if the only other option is that it's, yes. you know, that it's, that, that is the only other option. <laughs> um, I, I don't know how to answer that question, Ryan. I mean, I, creativity, the creative process in itself, I think is an expression of divinity. Yeah. And, yeah. Right. No. I mean, right. I mean, yeah. everything that is beautiful in the world has to do with expression. It has, you know, the way a flower buds and, and blooms is an expression. Right. And I so 
does, yeah. So I know. I, it, it comes down to this idea, uh, in my mind, really, of nurture versus nature, right? So is creativity something that's part of your human nature that people are born with, that, 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 or is it something that needs to be nurtured or taught and learned? Like, can you learn to be creative in, in, in an innate sense? So is it, is, it, uh, is it nurture? Is it nature? Is it both? I think creativity is innate, I think just by virtue of us being human beings, we are creative. And do you nurture that? I think nurturing it, what you nurture, what you focus on grows and expands. Um, But I I believe that nature is absolutely a a part of it. And I think we all start as extremely, um, as creative beings. And that, that, um, the nurturing or lack of nurturing, whatever specific pieces of our identity and our personalities and our humanity is is what we do. You know, I think that's what we do with it. Uh, and I guess to kind of thread our conversation together is that in many ways, almost every act of creation is also an act of destruction. Mm. Is that is that am I too thinky thinky there or is that something that? Does that make sense? I mean, we, I mean, the simple sense is like we've seen those old-timey antiques roadshow places where painters had painted over canvases, you know, or, or I'm going to take this, this, like a collage, for example, is destroying pieces of something to create something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, some acting teachers would say that I need to destroy you completely so I can rebuild you into this character. And I say, N-O. <laughs> yeah, no. But you know what I'm saying, though, right, is that, <laughs> yeah. that we cut Shakespeare scripts. I mean, it, it is all about piecing something together from pieces that exist before. Yeah, see, this is why we've always been partners in crime in academic settings, especially because yeah, you see things you from... Thank you for academic. Don't, n- don't confess our sins. Yeah, I know. <laughs> no, but I, I, that's a really cool way of thinking about it. And I, I mean, I, I just think of everything as creation. So I love I love that that way of describing it. So in, in your... We've talked about this idea of, of being seen and, and representation and those kinds of things, but in your particular creative journey, right, whether it's in your life or whatever, what has been kind of the greatest opposing force for you? What has pushed back against you the most as you think about that? Myself, 100%. Uh I don't even I don't even know that I need to expand. I mean, I I am my worst enemy and and uh, I think in any any situation where I have I mean fallen flat on my face. <laughs> the worst part about it is what I have said to myself, what I have believed about myself. Um, and working through that stuff is is the great work of, uh, I mean that's that's the great work of humanity. That's what theater's made about, right? Um, but uh, bar none, the worst the worst pushback is is me. So how does criticism play into that? Like, like I would imagine that that being on stage or even being a creative person, speaking, public speaking, those kinds of things, when the audience isn't with you, when there's criticism that exists, how does that how how do you process that? Well, uh, you know, there's the saying, and everybody says it was my teacher who said this, but there's the saying that, um, and I don't know who it was, says um, 
that what other people think about you is none of your business. And um, for me, what people thought of me, I mean, it's not that I'm, I'm, I've got this handled now at, you know, the ripe old age of my age. But um, uh, I think when I was younger, I really believed what other people said about me. And I was really concerned about what other people said. I think as I have matured, as I have um, done my own work in in my human way, the less it is, the more I understand that people are just coming from where they're coming from, right? And that it actually is none of my business what they think of me. And so in a really aligned and solid and, and um, you know, when I'm really firm on my feet and, my, and really aligned in who I am and what I'm doing, um, I'm that Zen putting in the zone for me. I'm, I'm all there. I know that what, they're, what they think is none of my business. I'm just going to keep trying to do my best. That's not the state that I or anybody lives in all of the time. And so when there's criticism, sometimes it stings. And in my profession, there's a lot of criticism. And, you know, people feel as though it is their job to tell you how you're doing your job when you were an artist. And uh, I think you, you grow a thick skin. I am learning that actually if I really let it in and witness what it's doing to me the information about what it's doing to me is much more valuable than what they're saying or not saying is and um i don't know it's process that's sweet (laughs) and we're going to go into our final break because i want to i want to this song is is important to me because we we talked about creativity we we directed a little bit of criticism and this is a person who received lots of criticism but is considered to be an american icon and i will tell you this uh this song is called um it ain't you babe by johnny cash because one you're the most johnny cash person i know and i i yeah so just put that there secondly we always think this song is johnny cash singing about a, a, a partner but if you think about it when you hear it his wife June Carter is singing along exactly at back at at him. So this to me reminds me of you as being this creative person who's saying, "Look, you know, I'm not the one you think that I am because you have mentioned that people come on and could come to you and say they think they know you because they've seen you on stage." Mm-hmm. And it's like, I, "I see this she's just, it ain't me, babe." <laughs> Go away from my window Leave at your own chosen speed I'm not the one you want, babe I'm not the one you need You say you're looking for someone Who's never weak but always strong To protect you and defend you whether you are right or wrong someone to open each and every door but it ain't me babe now 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 it ain't me babe it ain't me you're looking for babe Go 
lightly from the ledge, babe. Go lightly on the ground. I'm not the one you want, babe. I'll only let you down. You say you're looking for someone who'll promise never to part. Someone to close his eyes for you. Someone to close his heart. Someone to die for you and more. But it ain't me, babe. No, 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 it ain't me, babe. It ain't me you're looking for, babe. time you fall together flowers constantly and to come each time you call and we'll love you for your life and nothing more That was It Ain't Me, Babe by Johnny Cash, and you're here with us on KSUU Thunder 91.1. You're with us for the final moments of the Apex Hour. It's been a phenomenal hour, so Ryan, I'll turn it back over to you. Thank you, and and thank you, Amelia, and thank you, Melinda, for for being here and sharing your thoughts and insights. Uh, As always in our conversations, I I have more to think about as I leave than when I walked in the door. So thank, thank you. you. So we always ask this of all our guests. We're joined in on microphone with our amazing uh, associate producer, assistant producer, Sophie Javage. Thank you, so this is a question, Melinda, that we ask everybody. What are you currently watching, reading or listening to that is bringing you joy? I am currently watching... I'm not currently watching anything. I'm watching my kiddos. Uh, They're growing very quickly right now. I'm going to say I'm watching my kiddos, and that's bringing me joy. Um, I am reading, again, a book called The Art of Gathering. Um, The author's name is Priya. Now, because I'm trying to remember their name, I'm not going to remember it. But The Art of Gathering, and it's my second and a half time through it. And um, it's a beautiful book um, that has really changed my view on why and how we share space with each other. What was the third one? Uh, listening to, but you can only do one. You don't have to do all three. It's up to you. Are you listening, listening. to anything that's bringing you joy? I, uh, this is a really hard one for me because I listen to like 50 things at once. So, you know, I've got my, my morning fair and then my, you know, getting ready to leave the house fair and then my on the way to the, which is why I couldn't figure out songs for you. Um, so I can't, I can't, I can't answer that except that 
I think my favorite thing to listen to is silence. After all of listening to all of that stuff, I love like a long car ride completely in silence. And um, that brings me a lot of joy. See, I'm bringing silent. I was being silent to bring <laughs> bring joy. Sophie Javaj, what are you currently watching, reading, or listening to that is bringing you joy? So there's this show on Amazon Prime. And Amelia and I were actually talking about this yesterday. It is called Modern Love. And it is a compilation of all these stories of people who live in New York. And it's not just romantic relationships, but it's friendships. And it's like internal relationships with oneself and it's all these cool different stories and each episode is done by completely different actors and like none of them correlate except that they're all in new york city and that has brought me so much joy this week i've not been able to stop watching it and it's just a really cool show to check out cool thank you Amelia Nauman, what are you currently watching, reading, or listening to that is bringing you joy? See, I have to piggyback off of that because it's what we were talking about. I Modern Love, the podcast, is mine. I'm not too much into the TV show. I haven't gotten into that yet, but I would highly recommend the podcast. All right, Ryan, so I'm going to turn this question back over to you. What are you current wa- currently watching, reading, or listening to that is bringing you joy? I have rediscovered a song that means a lot to me it's, we've been thinking about music a lot recently it's a song called i gotta be me now there's two versions of it there's steve lawrence who all of you were too young to remember as kind of i was as well but uh the version that is the best is sammy davis jr who is the consummate showman and uh and he sang this song at an event where he'd been castigated for selling out like they thought he was too much of an uncle tom and he sang this song i gotta be me and that version of that song is absolutely incredible and that is what i is bringing me joy this week all righty thank you all so much for joining us here on the apex hour this week we are going to send out with one final song one final choice and that is both sides now by neil diamond Cream castles in the air, feather canyons everywhere. I've looked at clouds that way, but now they only block the sun. They rain, they snow, all oh, everyone. So many things I would have done, but clouds got in my Wheels, a dizzy dancing way you feel as every fairy tale comes real. I've looked at love that way, but now it's just another show. Leave them laughing when you go, but if
If you care, don't let them know Don't give yourself away I've looked at love from both sides now From give and take And still somehow it's love's illusions I recall I really don't know love at all Thanks so much for listening to the Apex Hour here on KSUU Thunder 91.1. Come find us every Thursday at 3 p.m. right here on Thunder 91. We would love for you to come to our events on campus. For more information, check out suu.edu apex. Until next time, that was the Apex Hour on Thunder 91.1.